Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Well, over the past two months, we have um, been studying the second epistle of Paul's letter, or second epistle of Paul to the church of Corinth, his second letter to the church, at least the second letter that we have recorded for us. Um, there is, again, belief that there are other letters in between there. Um, but in this second um, epistle, we have been looking at the concept of embracing inflictions. And you're thinking, I thought we were doing fasting. You'll, you'll get there. And uh, at first, I thought I was taking a hiatus from Corinthians. And we kind of are. But I've come to understand that actually we're, we're actually enhancing the teaching that we're doing in Corinthians. Because, again, I, in my flesh, thought that I had to split the passage when we went through giving because it was just too much. But if you look at the next part we're going to be looking at, um, as we come back to this in two weeks from now, Lord willing, um, who knows when we come back to this, right? That, that this is the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is our next passage. And so I want to read it to you. I want to start here in 2 Corinthians 10, because this really becomes talking about what we're talking about, but we're going to go into it in depth a little bit more than maybe we would have gone into it in depth if we were just handling it on our own. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning of verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, we'll talk about all that in a couple weeks, but it's that part that's in red and green up there that, that is really where we're at today, where we're talking about the fact that we are in the midst of a spiritual war. Now, again, um, when I planned all this, I didn't plan for us to be in the throes of the coronavirus. I didn't plan on President Trump calling a national um, emergency and calling for a national day of prayer. But it worked out real well for as we go into fasting and, and talking about the, the, the spiritual warfare that we're, we're doing. And I'm not relishing in that other than to say that it brings it into a, a great awareness. Um, really, honestly, right now, talking about fasting because throughout history, this would be the moment that people would start to comprehend and understand fasting. And yet, sadly, fasting is a spiritual discipline that should be a part of every one of our lives. But it's not taught in churches. It's, it's not vogue to, to be doing, unless it's for health reasons. Now, if you get into the holistic stuff and all this kind of stuff, people will talk to you about fasting, but they're not talking to you about fasting from a spiritual perspective, about growing closer in your walk with Christ or in your relationship with Yahweh, but rather they're going to talk to you about this is a good cleansing thing for your body. Well, good. It is, actually. That's a, that's a good thing. And so if that kind of opens you up a little bit there and make you think about that, that's a good thing. But that's not what we're talking about today. That's not biblical fasting. That's not why you fast in order to, to cleanse your body and make yourself feel better about yourself. That's all self-centered and selfish. This is God-focused. This is when 
we come and we want to draw into a closer walk with the Lord, that we're seeking his face. And so, so in the midst of it all, in the afflictions of life, many of them, as we started talking about, are spiritual in nature. Spiritual battles, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, so spiritual battles need to be fought with spiritual weapons. It just kind of makes sense. One of the greatest spiritual weapons the Lord has given to us is fasting. We're going to look at this in two ways today. Today, we're looking at just the call to fast, our call to fasting. Next week, we want to look at a proper fast. I could do this over multiple weeks and look at a lot of different passages. And so there's probably some verses that on your sermon note sheets that we're probably not going to look at from the perspective of the cross-references that I would have looked at in depth if we were spending more and more time on this. But we want to look at this basically from the testimony of Christ today. And then secondly, from the testimony of the early church or the church. And so first, let's look at it from the perspective of, oh, wait, I forgot. I was going to give you the, the, the definition of fasting, which is very important. Because some people say, well, what is fasting? So fasting is abstaining from food and or drink for a period of time for a particular reason or cause. That's generic fasting. So again, some people fast for purely health reasons. Makes sense? But it has nothing to do with the scriptures. Fasting, though, scripturally speaking, biblically speaking, is a temporary affliction of the physical body for a greater spiritual purpose. Does that make sense? That's when we talk about fasting, that's what we're talking about. It's a temporary, temporary affliction of my physical body. Hence, it ties right in with this concept of afflictions. And it's one of the afflictions that Paul refers to that he went through with all of his fastings. Okay? There's the affliction of the, of the body, of that which is flesh, in order to accomplish a, a greater spiritual purpose. So in the testimony of Christ, the first thing we want to look at is his example. So we're going to be spending most of our time in the book of Matthew today, okay, um, for when we talk about the testimony of, of Christ. And then we're going to be looking in the book of Acts when it comes to the testimony of the church. So if you're there in Matthew still from Chuck's reading, um, turn to Matthew chapter 4. And in Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, we read, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted Periosmos, so you understand the word, the Greek word periosmos, if you've been here enough, that the, the word periosmos doesn't mean necessarily tempted, it means what? Troubled, troubled, right, it's a troublesome situation. So, it's a troublesome situation in which you are both tempted and tried, if you would. The reality is how you respond to it is going to reveal whether it was a temptation or a trial. So the reality is that Jesus went into the wilderness and though he was tempted in every way such as we are, yet he was without sin. So really, this is more of a trial for him. Makes sense? And so his faith is put on trial because Jesus, what? Stood up to the periosmos. Makes sense? Okay? So I'm, I'm making a slight distinction. So not to say that he wasn't tempted. I believe he was tempted. Okay? And I mean, I, I get that there's the, 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 the doctrine out there. Um, what's the word? The something of Christ. That he can't sin, he couldn't sin. Steve and I have talked about this in the past, that's why I'm looking at Steve. Anybody else know that word? You heard it. I know you've heard it. Isn't that awful when you can't think of it? Anyways, there's a belief that Jesus couldn't sin. And so, therefore, the, the, the extension is then he was never what? Tempted. Because in order to be tempted, you have to be able to sin. Does it make sense? Well, Jesus was troubled. He was tempted. Jesus was fully man, just as he was fully God. Does it make sense? But the fruit of the Spirit, 
Galatians chapter 5, is that which is exhibited from you because of the Holy Spirit being in you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. What's the last one? Self-control. Self-control. God has, is the only one who has perfect what? Self-control. God determined it was sin, therefore God what, will not what? Will not do it, because it's sin. He's the one who determined it. Anyways, so when Satan comes to Jesus, you need to understand that there's this, there's this thing that's going on. Okay, there's, a, there's this battle that's happening here. There's this um, temptation, troublesome situation, trial that's being placed upon him. Okay, in, in a very real sense, Jesus could, though he wouldn't have. I get it. Okay, there's the true God, true man thing. And we, but we, we minimize the battle, because we say he's what? True God, and so therefore he what? He really couldn't have fallen, and so I minimized the battle. Don't minimize the battle. Read what happens. Jesus was up in the spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, tried, troubled by the devil. And when he had what? Fasted. Fasted what? Forty days and forty nights. There's a reason we're told that. When he had fasted forty days and forty nights, I love the little. Um, uh, humor of God sometimes. And afterwards, he was what? He was hungry. Duh. Yeah. Uh, okay. But look, if, if, if this is all a big deal about God, that Jesus is fully God, and therefore he couldn't be tempted, why did he fast? Why, why did he fast? He didn't need to fast. But in his humanity, in his full humanity, he did what we ought to be doing in, for, to protect against the, the, the consecration courage for when the, the trials and the tribulations come. We'll talk about that again in a moment when we get to Matthew 17 again from what we had with the reading. Okay, But what I want to bring out here is that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, there are precedents that are set here by both Moses twice in Elijah once where they went without food and water for 40 days and 40 nights. It's important that we're told this. Because if it just says that they fasted for 40 days, that meant that they ate in the evening. It's like Ramadan. Okay, If you want to understand what fasting was like, uh, really, and I'm not saying you go after Islam, go after Muslim, Okay, but if you really want to understand a lot of biblical Hebraic thought concepts, you can look at what the what the Muslims do, the Islamic people do. You understand what it means to, to, um, to proskuneo, to, to fall on your face before God. That's what it really means. You know, when we talk about, you know, bowing, we bow in our hearts. No, man. They get, you were talking about bowing before the Lord is getting down on your knees and, 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 and worshiping God and, and praying. Okay? So we, we tend to dismiss a lot of that kind of stuff as, as Western Christians, okay? And so, 40 days, 40 nights, it's very critical, okay? That meant that he wasn't eating and drinking during the daytime or in the evening. Make sense, okay? So, Moses did it twice in a row. I had a, we met a, um, a guy in the National Spelling Bee many years ago. My oldest daughter was in the National Spelling Bee a couple years. And um, I got to meet... Um, his son, um, Thumpy, uh, Dr. Thumpy, his son actually wound up winning it the, the year after, that we, the year that we didn't go, the third year. And so we got to spend a lot of time together during the previous two years, praying together and that kind of stuff. He was a believer. He was a great guy. And one of his research papers that he was working on was 
the dynamics of the culture, the, the, um, not the culture, but the, the nature and stuff like that over there, what would have helped um, Moses be able to do this? Um, but the reality is, it still boils down to what? In the end, is faith in that God had to what? Do something miraculously to get him through it. Because naturally, your body can't go that distance. Does that make sense? There has to be something supernatural that superintends over that moment. Okay? So when Jesus was out there, he spent 40 days and 40 nights without eating and drinking. Okay? The point I want to bring at to you is his example to us is that he being God in the flesh did what? He fasted. He knew the trial, the temptation, the troublesome situation was coming. So in order to prepare for it, he fasted. And he didn't just fast one meal. He didn't fast one day and eat all night. He didn't fast for 40 days and then ate 40 nights. He knew that he was going to be... Look, I, don't, I, I have no delusions of grandeur here. I, I, I'm, I'm sure Satan brings one of his lowest minions to say, go take Bob down a notch again. You know? And I don't think Satan himself is coming at me. Could you imagine the, the chief of all delusions coming at you? But Jesus is God. I get it. And, and we kind of dismiss that. Don't dismiss that. There was a part where Jesus, again, allowed him to self to walk in our steps. Do you understand? He was troubled such as I am. Yet he was without sin. So, while he was on the earth, he chose to do this. What was the purpose? Consecration and courage. That he would be consecrated unto the work which he was called to do. I know he's God in the flesh. He sent himself. We just went through the book of Zechariah, right? Yahweh sent... Yahweh boggles your brain. Okay? Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. I get it. Yahweh sent Yahweh. That's who he is. And yet, we're told in Isaiah 48, and now um, Yahweh, Yahweh Adonai, Adonai or Adonai Yahweh in his Ruach, his spirit, have sent me. So there's this idea that within the Godhead, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, before the foundations of the world were laid, had already determined that the Son would be the entity of the, the triunity of God that was going to come onto the earth. And, and will give himself as a sacrifice. It's a mind-boggling thing. So he emptied himself, if you would, at least to that extent, and then he, he, um, he fasted. Secondly, his expectation for us is seen in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to talk about this um, a little bit more um, next week. But in Matthew chapter 6, after the teaching on prayer, in the, the Lord's model prayer, in verse 16, Jesus starts off with this statement, Moreover, what? When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, and so on and so forth. Again, which we'll talk about next week. But what I want to just state right now, for right now, and we'll move on to the next point, is that Jesus had an expectation that the people were going to what? Fast. If he didn't have an expectation, he wouldn't even teach them on it. But he said, when you fast, i.e., you should be, so when you do, here's how you do it, and we'll talk about that next week. Okay? His explanation then comes to chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9 when he starts to talk to them again about um, being challenged um, about why his, his disciples aren't fasting. Beginning at verse 14, we read, Then the disciples of John came to him. Now, I've got to understand, these aren't, these aren't the Pharisees. This isn't the scribes. This isn't the Sadducees. These were the disciples of John. Okay, John is Jesus' 
forerunner. So theoretically, these are good guys. Make sense? So this is church talking to church. One stripe talking to another stripe, however you want to look at it, right? Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? What's going on with you guys? I thought you were supposed to be spiritual. I mean, I thought you were supposed to be the, the anointed one. What's up with your followers? Why aren't they doing it? Did you ever see that in the church? Anyways, right? And Jesus said to them, quote, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break and the wine is spilt and the wineskins are ruined. But they, too, but they put new wine into new wineskins, or both are preserved. And so, again, purpose. Jesus starts to ex- has the ex- explanation of what's going on here. First of all, there is rejoicing in the presence of the bridegroom. I'm here. I'm with them. There's no yearning for me to be drawn nearer because the kingdom of God has drawn near. Yeah, I'm here. There's no like, and God, please be with us. I can't get any closer. You want to sit in your lap? (laughs) Yeah, hello. I mean, really, think about it. Isn't that what he said to Philip in John 14? Show us the Father and it suffices us. Philip, wake up. Have I been so long with you and you haven't recognized me? Wouldn't that be something? Like all of a sudden the fog goes away and you go, I have missed it. Dude, I've been walking in the presence of God for three years straight and I missed it. Sometimes we wake up and we think we realize that, huh? How much we could have been having in the presence and the fellowship of, of Christ and of God and we've blown it because we're just walking in a stupor, walking in our own power and our own strength. But he says, but when, when the bridegroom is taken away, in the absence of the bridegroom, there's going to be sorrow. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be fasting. There's going to be yearning. There's going to be this hungering for his presence. Now, we can't spiritualize this, right? Get rid of the second half of this verse. And you can spiritualize it. Because isn't God present with us now? Are you not the temple of the Holy Spirit? Does it not say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, for me to live as Christ, or not, I'm sorry, that's Philippians, but um, that it's Christ who lives in me, right? And so I can say very clearly that God is what? Present with me all the time. Therefore, what? Do, Do the logic. To do the process of logic. Therefore, I don't, need ever, I don't ever need to fast because I'm always in the presence of the bridegroom. But look at how Jesus taught it. Jesus didn't say that. He could have said that. And I'll always be with you. Therefore, there's never a reason to sorrow or to fast because that looks, that looks weak. We don't want you to be weak. We want you to be strong. You walk in faith. You walk in victory. Never bow the knee to anybody because you are mine. He could have said all that. But he didn't say any of that. What he said was, the time's going to come. And the Son of Man's going to be taken away. And then they will 
fast, then they will fast. Because they will be looking for my direction. They'll be looking for my presence being in power upon them. They'll be looking for these things. There'll be the yearning that, that goes on within. So, uh, Chuck, I, I, it was great for this message anyway that you kind of got caught up in the reverie of singing Draw Me Nearer, you know, and you forgot that you needed to be reading the Bible passage. And, you know, because that's exactly what it should be. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, that's why I lose my place sometimes in songs, and I get embarrassed then because, you know, I'm leading and I get, but I'm, I'm caught in the reverie of the song. I'm thinking, again, as I shared, you know, about I want, you know, the, to play, I want them to play, work, you know, the, the, the message, you know, to, and I want to sing, so I don't know if you, sometimes I don't sing, lead singing properly because I'm actually singing like a soloist from that perspective. I want to sing the song. I don't want to sing the notes. Does that make sense? It's a meaning. There's a reason behind that song. And the person who wrote that song was moved by God for some reason. I'm not saying added to the Bible, but you understand what I'm saying, that they were in that. And sometimes when you're, the Revelation song, I mean, I don't care who, who wrote it. I, I think I probably could come up with the name right now, but it doesn't matter to me. That's a phenomenal song to me. Agnes Day, I don't know who wrote Agnes Day, but it's, again, another fabulous... I can get caught up in the reverie of just praising my God in, in, in the thought of what, his, um, what the, the throne room is, is, is going to be like when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to fest and there are going to be people from all other nations gathered together giving him praise and glory. I just can't imagine what that's going to be. And I love the moments that are like that. Do you, do you, do you hunger and thirst, want to be caught closer and closer and closer to Jesus. I mean, is this what you really, really want and yearn? This is one of the ways Jesus said we ought to do that. We, we ought to be yearning for him. We ought to be fasting. There's a part where we're saying, this stuff of the flesh, it's meaningless. What I want is you more. I want you more. So instead of eating, because I like to eat. In fact, I'm kind of hungry now. I'd rather eat. But I want you more. I think it's where God gets the greatest glory. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eye. Pride of life. They're real stuff. God, God, God fearfully and wonderfully made us. And because of that, we do have delights of our flesh. There are things that we yearn for, whether it's food, whether it's drink, whether it's romanticism. We'll leave it there. But when I choose God over those things, it's even more. Do you realize in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's, it says that a man and a woman, they shouldn't for, give, you know, they've got to be able to give to the other what is their rightful thing, right? Okay. But there's only one reason not to give it. For prayer and fasting. That's how important it is. Does that make sense? It's the only reason. The only reason. Sorry, honey, I can't tonight because... I plan on fasting the next seven days. I mean, I bet you there's a whole lot of people who wouldn't go there. They wouldn't say, well, I guess I'll do this because I really don't want to do that. And so, you know, and before God, you're going to say that, okay? Lust of the eyes. Walking through the mall. Oh, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. I didn't know I needed it until I went to the store, you know? That's lust of the eyes. But that's looking at something and saying, no, but God, I'd rather give the money to you. I'd rather fast in my finances and give you this sacrifice. Anyways, there's sorrow in the absence. His exhortation, then, is what Chuck read earlier, Matthew 17. This is the, the account of 
Jesus and um, Peter, James and John, they're coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James and John, they just got to see something that none of us have ever seen. And they got to see Jesus being transformed into his glory. This is an amazing thing. And they come down from the mountain. And as they come down from the mountain, they go to where the rest of the disciples are. And what they see, you need to understand this from the Jewish perspective, what's going on here. Okay? You've got to understand that the disciples are getting ready to be stoned. Okay? Because they brought to him, to, to Jesus, but Jesus wasn't there, so to the disciples, then this one who, had, who was demon-possessed, who was epileptic in some manner, at least that's what it appeared like from the flesh side, but we know that they were demon-possessed. Okay? And, so, and so we know, based upon the account, that the disciples must have what? Try to cast them out. And were unsuccessful. Let's rather say they were failures. Make sense? According to the law, if you proclaim yourself to be a prophet, and then something doesn't happen, you are a what? False prophet. And what happens to them? They get stoned. Do you understand the word that's being used here? There was, there was, a, there was a, a, a rubble that was around them. Do you understand? I mean, they were ready to be um, in our, our line, hitched up to, to the tree, near his tree, right? And so, because they couldn't do what they were there. Jesus comes walking in. It was kind of like the middle of the storm in the middle of the lake, right? You know, Jesus comes walking in. It's kind of like the Lone Ranger. Anyways, he comes, comes riding in, you know? And he says, what's going on? Who was the first ones to speak? Look at it. Who were the first ones to talk? The boy's father, the crowd. It wasn't the disciples. They're kind of backing off on this moment, right? They don't want to talk about what just happened because from their perspective, it was a what? An utter failure, right? And I mean, they're, they're back on their heels trying to figure out what they're going to do, right? This is the, the news conferences, you know, and, and the press has got you on the ropes, you know? And so they, they don't know what they're going to do. And so all of a sudden, the boy's father says, well, I brought my son to, to your disciples, to you all, make sense? And they weren't able to what? Do anything. And then he makes this interesting statement. I don't know if it's here in Matthew or if it's in Mark. Um, but if you can what? But if you can do anything. Is it, did he say this here in Matthew? No, it's probably in the Mark, the Mark portion. But if you can do anything. I love it. But if you can do it. In other words, why? Why is he, why is he even saying that to Jesus? Because the disciples failed. I mean, the people aren't seeing Jesus as God. Make sense? And so the disciples, he sent the disciples out two by two, remember? And they were casting out demons and they were healing people and all this kind of stuff. And now all of a sudden what? He brought them and what? Disciples are, they're powerless for this one. Oh, we finally found a demon that's stronger than, than Jesus. Make sense? And so the father says, oh, if you're able to, Jesus is like, if I'm able? Let's pull out the mirror here, dude. It's nothing about me. It's all about you. If you have faith, then things are going to be able to happen. And so then he casts out the demon and, 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 and the rest of the story. We're not going to spend all the time on it. But it's then the end where the disciples come back to him later, right? They're not in the middle of the crowd. They don't come right on up to him right away because they don't want everybody to know how, how they, why they blew this thing, right? So they're, they're around the fire a little bit later on, right? And, and they say to Jesus, <clears throat> Hey, Master, um, 
why weren't we able to do this? I mean, we said the right incantations. We said hocus pocus. Were we supposed to say pocus focus on this one? Or I mean, I'm, I'm making fun, okay? But the idea is, isn't that what we do sometimes? We think, like Pharisees sometimes, that if we just go through this, chunk, 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 then this has to happen. If I rub on the lamp three times this way, chink, 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 then it's going to, ha- this, boop, this happens. What happened? Why weren't we able to do this? I mean, we're able to do everything else. Why can't we do this one? Jesus, what does Jesus answer him? Because of your what? Because of your lack of faith, your unbelief. Wow. I mean, these guys are believers. They're following her all the way around the wilderness. Does it make sense? I mean, these, I mean, these aren't the, 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 the hinge people. They're just coming for the food. He says, because of your lack of faith, because of your unbelief. This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. When I was up on that mountaintop for three days and three nights praying and fasting, what do you guys think you ought to have been doing? Praying and fasting, but you were probably down here partying, weren't you? When the cat's away, the mice will play. I'm just saying. Make sense? And then all of a sudden you were caught with a what? An affliction, a trial, a troublesome situation, and you didn't have the what? You didn't have the strength. You didn't have the faith. You didn't have the power. You didn't have the ability to handle it because you hadn't been. You've got to be praying and fasting beforehand. You can't say, wait, stop. I hear that need. Come back in three days. Needs don't happen that way, do they? How many of you, four weeks ago, would have thought that we would be as a nation where we are right now. When praying and fasting needed to have been happening already. We have a week of prayer and fasting coming up in a week from now. It's about three weeks too late. (laughs) Not necessarily, but you get what I'm saying? If we're only waiting for, this is when the church does it, so we do it now, then it's always going to be too late. It's an individual thing that we need to be realizing that this is a part of our relationship with God. This is part of being empowered um, in order to serve him. So the timing of the fasting, before you need to power. The power of the fasting. He was able to cast out a demon. I understand. It was Jesus. It was God. No, that's not the point. What Jesus says is that you could have. You would have been able to do this one if you had been what? Praying and fasting. So again, I ask myself, this isn't against you. This is, this, is, this is looking in the mirror for Bob, okay? How many times do I fall to temptation and to trial and tribulation? Because I don't pray and fast enough. Or that I'm punching a ticket and I'm reading a list. Now, I don't have a problem. I, I get lists sometimes because it's easy for us to forget. But I... But I've heard some people pray a list. And they're not thinking about what they're praying. They're just reading the list. That's really not praying. Does that make sense? Praying is a relationship between you and the God of the universe. It's purely what it is. It's communication between you and the God of the universe. How cool is that? I mean, if you had the chance to to talk to Donald Trump, would you pull out a a piece of paper and start going, ding, 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 ding. And bless 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 and help and help and help and help and help. No, you'd probably have a conversation. Do that with God. But with the intensity of it, then, is, and I'm going to spend more and more time with it. 
That means I'm going to have to eat less and less because I want more and more time. The testimony of the church. Acts 13. We have two passages we're going to look at real quickly here. Acts 13. Okay, and it won't take very long. So Acts 13. This is the elders of Antioch. When they were getting ready to send out missionaries. Now, they didn't know they were getting ready to send out missionaries, but God did. So beginning of verse 1, we read, Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Niger Lucius of Cyrene, Manaton, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul, who we know became Paul. And as a minister to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Bar- Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So... First, what we see is they're fasting because they're seeking the counsel of God. They yearn. So pray for David, Steve, and I, that we would, we would grow in our, 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 our yearning for God's counsel. But this is an all play, too. Make sense? We ought to all be seeking God's face for what God wants us as an assembly to do in this neighborhood. I firmly, 100% believe that it's not an accident that we're sitting on the property that we're sitting on. I mean, if you've been here long enough, you know the story of it. There's no way we could afford it, but God gave it to us. God told us what we're going to pay, and after a year and a half of going back and forth, the federal bank finally came back and said, would you take it for that amount? God has us here for a reason, y'all. If that isn't enough to, 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 to give you the willies to know that God wants to use you in a mighty way, I don't know what will. And so we ought to be committed to the, to the, to the purpose and plan of whatever God's got for us whatever he's got for us, and seeking to, to pray and to fast. Well, they were praying and fasting, seeking God's will. And in the midst of it, in the midst of it, God says, I want you to send out Barnabas and Saul. And so, what did they do? Immediately, they said, okay, that means we need to be praying and fasting more so we can what? Consecrate them and send them out with prayer and fasting. When's the last time you were fasting for missionaries? You don't have to answer it. I'm praying for Jonathan and Marjorie right now. Some of you are saying, who's Jonathan and Marjorie? They're the missionaries who are in Jordan, in Amman, which is right there in that, near the epicenter of what's going on with the virus. Do you get it? I mean, we're still in our little bubble right now in Augusta, Georgia. We're waiting for it to wave, if you would, come in our way. They're there. You need to be praying for them. That God will use them in a mighty way in the midst of a people who is, where people are dying. Make sense? How often do you pray and fast for Charles and Asia in this year? Do you realize the spiritism that they fight? Literally, the demons that they fight. I mean, literally, Fight. I mean, not like, oh, yeah, well, you know, the demons of alcohol. and all that. No, I'm talking about real demons who are talking in other voices through women and stuff like that. I'm talking about real demons. I'm talking about spiritism. I'm talking about people thrashing and fighting and all, kicking and stuff like that. They need your prayers. They need your prayer for wisdom and how they operate in the midst of a, of a culture like that. How about a Rouge and Pat? Who want to get back to Thailand. That's all they want to do. They want to go back to Thailand to witness to their own people. Because he doesn't speak English very well, it's hard for him to raise support in English-speaking churches. Duh! He's the perfect guy to go back to Bangkok because he speaks the language. That makes sense to me. 
Are you praying and fasting for missionaries? We need to be consecrating, looking for our leaders. We need to be doing that for Steve when he goes off on his trips um, as well. The churches of Asia Minor, turn just to chapter 14. Look at verse 23. We'll end here with this. And so in verse 23 of 14, we read, So when they had appointed elders, that's Paul and his entourage, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul didn't go and spend years in every place he went. He only did that twice to my knowledge. I may be wrong on this one, but I think Corinth and Ephesus. Otherwise, he just spent weeks, maybe a couple months. Could you imagine that? I mean, I've already been here for, so this is what, 2020? We started in 2003, so the church is now about 17 years old, almost 17 years old. So back in 2003, when we started the church in April, right, we'd have had Bible studies. We first started meeting in your backyard, George, right? Okay? But then September comes around, I say what? It's time for me to go. All right, let's lay hands on a couple of you guys. You become the elders, and then I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Think about it. That's what was happening. That was what was going on. Paul came, gave him the gospel, people responded, and he said, it's time for us to what? Move on. So they, they didn't just say, you get and moved on, okay, you got it. But they what? They prayed and they fasted. This was a big deal. And I believe Paul probably fasted many times for those elders as he, as he went on, praying for all the churches and for God's interaction. And so, so in the end, as we come through this stuff, as we look at just the call to fasting, how would you describe your devotion to God? But more importantly... How would God himself describe it? Are there issues in your life in which you earnestly desire to see God's intervention? If so, what are you willing to do, give up, in order to grow in your devotion or to see God's intervention? What are you willing to do? Now, here's the deal. Fasting. You don't need to go 40 days and 40 nights. Again, those passages that we didn't get to go to. Some of them fasted for seven days, which meant that what? They ate at night, probably. Okay? Some of them fasted three days, three nights. Okay? There, there were different things, different times. It may be that you're just, I'm going to give up. So it's kind of like the Lent concept here, you know. But I'm going to give up breakfast for the next 30 days. Okay? Now, if you don't eat breakfast, <laughs> it doesn't work. Okay? Yeah, I'm being spiritual. I'm giving up breakfast. You never ate breakfast anyway. You know, I'm not going to eat a donut for breakfast. Well, you can't because you've got milk allergy and you can't eat a donut anyway. I give up giving up things. So, uh, anyways, it, yeah, yeah, but that was my Lutheran background, you know, when you went into Lent, you know. What are you going to give up? I'm giving up, giving up. Um, the, um, the reality is that fasting is when you're giving something up. It's physical. It's a physical affliction that you're allowing your body to go through because you want him more. So I challenge you, don't start, don't start with a seven-day full fast. Okay? You know, water only, seven days. It's going to kill you. Okay? No, no, not, not literally kill you, yeah. Do drink. Okay? Do, do drink water. Unless God's working you in a miraculous way, please drink water. Okay? But 
I have fasted in different ways, different times, for different amounts of time. There are times when I do a juice fast or juice water for me because it's just I, I hate the taste of water. Anyways, it may be times that I'm saying, God, I'm going to give up dinner. Or it may be that I'm not going to eat until after the time of prayer and fasting, and I'll have just a snack. Okay? Big snack. No, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. You understand? So what I'm saying is, I'm spending my time this week, and I have, as I have been, I'm actually looking and yearning for God right now to reveal to me what he wants me to do that week. Does that make sense? I don't want to do it according to Bob's desire. We're going to talk about this a little bit more next week on the, the, the motivation of it, okay? I don't want to be pharisaical in fasting. And so and I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do. Does that make sense? Because it's between me and God. But I can tell you that I'm going to be seeking to be holy as he is holy and be pure because I'm not. Make sense? I want to look more like Jesus. I can't stand looking like Bob sometimes. Make sense? But I'm also going to be yearning and crying out for this church, especially in this day, right? I mean, I'm already yearning and crying out that we're a witness and a testimony in this neighborhood, but how much more when we have the opportunity because of the, the, where people are at right now to maybe that God would allow them to be yearning to hear a, a message of hope. Make sense? And that I would be powerful, bold, and faithful, courageous to be able to open my mouth up and speak as I ought to speak. Not the yellow belly chicken liver that I normally am. So in the end, is there a need then to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness to us. You are good at all times. Even, Lord, when we face afflictions in our life and trials. But, Lord, you have called upon us to even bring that into our own lives. Not in a sadomasochistic way. But, Lord, with a hunger and a passion to put distractions aside that we might focus on you better, more fully. Lord, that we would come to know you in a deeper, richer way. That we would comprehend what is the depth and height and breadth of your love for us. Lord, that we would know, truly know, that you are able to, to oversee and overpower even fleshly yearnings that we have if we would just look to you. All things are possible in you because you have spoken it all into being. Help us to truly believe that, Lord. Help us to walk in your steps. And Lord, in this realm of fasting, Lord, help us not to be pharisaical. Help us not to be legalistic. Help us not to be self-righteous. To be looking at others and wondering whether they are or they aren't. But rather, Lord, for us to see it as something that you want to work in us. Not just two weeks a year. But Lord, as a practice in our life, that, you, that we will respond to the Spirit's calling in our life to lay everything aside that we might focus on you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.